Thank you for joining us today for the preaching ministry of Dr. Chris Aiken, Senior Pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Inglewood is a dynamic ministry reaching Eastern North Carolina and the world with the timeless truth of the gospel. For more information, visit us online at inglewoodbaptist.com. Now, here's Pastor Chris with today's message. Good evening. Man, I'm going to tell you what, it is good to see you. Um, I'd echo what, what Dylan said. I, it really is a special time when the people of God come together and say, the heart of God is so significant, we carve out specifically intentional time every single time we come together to call out the name of a people that God knows that we didn't know before. And let me encourage you, I know we say this to you often, but uh, I hope that when you sit down for breakfast tomorrow and dinner, as you're gathered around with your family, you lift up the Dasari people. I hope when you take a break at lunch tomorrow, when Tuesday comes, when Wednesday comes, you lift up and pray for the Dasari people. And uh, hey, wouldn't it be good, won't it be great one day when we're sitting around and we say, you know what, I met someone from the Dasari people. You wouldn't believe it. I met them. I was on a trip too, and this is where I came across them. And they said they heard the gospel because, and to know that in some way, somehow in God's economy, he let us be a part of that. Isn't that incredible? Let me give you one other thing, if I could. Uh, for those of you who are here and you've brought your children and, uh, and so forth, can I just commend you for just a second? I'm gonna, I, I bragged this morning on y'all's sacrifice and generosity. I want to do that again, but I want to do it this way. I want to say to you, uh, I know it's not always easy, especially if the children are less engaged sometimes than others and uh, to say gosh it is so hard especially on a Sunday evening and all and yet you've taken time to do that here's what I think I think it pays off in huge dividends because listen without a spoken word you've demonstrated incredible value in the gathered assembly and in the preached word and the need to gather together and worship. So, uh, hey, hats off to you, moms and dads, for doing that. And uh, listen, if they've still got wiggles in them, you let them wiggle and they won't distract me at all. In fact, I'm somewhat entertained as a, as a new grandfather be it growing through here. I've, I've been looking out going, man, I don't get to see this when I sit on the front row looking this way because the praise team for most of them are out of that stage most of them so uh anyway so now when I look out from this direction I'm like your youngins are absolutely adorable and uh, if I had sugar I'd sugar them up and then send them home with you that's that's in the grandparent handbook right that's uh yeah you sugar them up send them home anyway enough of all that take your bibles and open with me to the book of first timothy and uh, we're going to be at first timothy four uh this evening for these next few minutes together this message this text, the actual section that I think uh, this idea covers goes all the way from verse 6 through verse 16, the remainder of the chapter. Tonight, because we've got some special things at the end, tonight we've got the privilege of ordaining three men to uh, the ministry to serve as deacons here at Inglewood. So tonight I'm going to take this long message, I'm going to divide it into two parts, and uh, if you want to know the rest of the story you have to come back next week, Lord willing. And uh, so, anyway, tonight we're going to begin in verse 6. We're going to go down through about verse 11 this evening as uh, we spend our time together. And uh, I'm, again, grateful and humbled that you're here. With, I was thinking something's off here. My Bible's on the wrong side. Are y'all weird like that? 
Yeah, thank you. Good. I'm, I, I was just going to know who I need to pray for who was lying. And uh, anyway, so uh, anyway, you get the idea. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let me introduce the message to you this way. Um, no pain, no gain. Or anything worth having will cost you something. Whether you're training for a physical, uh, a physical contest, whether you've made a decision to go back to school, whether you've made a decision to, uh, to achieve a new level of whatever it is in your life, to get there is going to require a decision and then action behind the decision. It's going to require discipline. Nobody sits around on the sofa this week and says, hey, I'm training for a marathon next week. And uh, while they eat a handful of Twinkies and the furthest they've ever run is to the refrigerator. And I'm just telling you, you can't do that. If you're going to go out and you're going to say, hey, I'm going to run a marathon, you take on a discipline of diet and exercise and rest and recovery and exertion, and you carry yourself all the way through. Discipline's required if we're going to achieve great things. Now, again, that makes sense. You think about, well, if I was going to run a marathon, Chris, of course that would make sense. I'd have to do that physically. If I were going to uh, lose weight, if I were going to uh, achieve this, if I were going to go back to school and and work on a master's degree, or if I was going to do all, all of those things require discipline. Hey, here's a question. What about our spirituality? Does it require discipline? What about our godliness? Does it require discipline? We recognize discipline in every area of our lives, but sometimes we question placing discipline into our spiritual development. In fact, sometimes we want to coast through that and think it's a passive idea. We'll just wait and see what God develops in us as opposed to what has God created us to pursue in our becoming like Christ. That's the idea as Paul starts speaking here to Timothy and to servants, by the way, as he starts expressing this, he's saying to him, here are some disciplines that must be true in your life. If you don't, you'll not get to where you want to go to. In other words, you'll not achieve your potential. You'll not become what Christ has created you to be. Disciplines. Now, listen, I... I'm the fellow that walks down the hall when I see a sign that says, do not touch wet paint. I'm the fellow that wants to reach out and touch it. Okay. I'm the fellow that says, if you tell me, hey, my mom used to do this to me all the time. She would say, if you do that, you're going to be just like so-and-so. And I'd say, I will not. Will not. You can't make me. Uh-uh. You don't know. And, and I did not like to be told you will fit it right into this category. But I'm going to tell you categorically tonight, if you don't train yourself, you'll never get to the godliness that God intended for you. And that's exactly where Paul's coming from as we look at this. We understand disciplines required for all of these other areas. We cannot coast through our spiritual growth. As Paul talks to Timothy here, we can learn as well. Here's the, here's the idea. If we're to have an effective ministry, in other words, if we're to bring, God's, bring God ultimate glory, then we must be effective ministers. And to be effective ministers requires discipline in our lives. 1 Timothy 4, we're going to begin in verse 6, go down through about verse 11. And let me invite you to stand with me if you're able in honor of the reading of the Word of God. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6 says, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the word, on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, 
discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. There's the key phrase. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance for it, for it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Pause right there. Father, even in these moments, would you open our eyes? Would you allow us to see and know Would you speak clearly to our hearts? And would you put your finger on things in our lives which require discipline? It's our heart's desire, God. It's our heart's desire. As you look at our hearts tonight, you know our hearts. It's our heart's desire to reflect Christ in everything that we do and in every way we do it. So help us, Lord, even now by teaching us and training us that we might do just that. And then be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. And David, thank you for standing. You be seated. And uh, I want to share with you, if you're following along on the outline, I want to share with you three disciplines that Paul speaks of here in this message entitled Disciplines of an Effective Minister. Three disciplines I want you to see. Now, if you're not following along on the app because you don't have the app, but you'd like the outline, you can simply text the word notes to the number that's on your screen. We'll send you a link to that and you'll get the outline brought right to your device now and then you can follow along in kind of a fill in the blank or as I told you this morning you can go old school grab a piece of paper and go and uh, so let me show you these three disciplines the first one I want you to see Paul kind of describes this for us he says the first thing you must have if you're going to be effective as a minister if you're going to be effective in ministry if you're going to effectively serve God you have to have a disciplined diet a disciplined diet. Now, for those of you that think I just spoke blasphemy against ice cream, it's not that kind of diet. Here's what he's saying in this. Now, he's saying that there are certain things that you and I must take in in order to be able to express out in our lives. You've heard the phrase or the statement, garbage in, garbage out. What you put into your system, it's going to come out of your system. And that's true if you've got a computer or that's true if you've got a if you like chocolate late at night, but it's garbage in, garbage out. You're going to get out what you put in. Now, what the problem sometimes for you and I is, is we'll take in bad things and then wonder why good things don't come out. Good things don't come out because bad things went in. And God calls us to effectively manage, control what goes in. What we take in affects us and reveals itself in our attitudes and actions. It's why Paul says to the Philippians uh, in, just a, uh, in just a bit, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Philippians 4, 8, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things that are good and righteous and positive and reflect Christ. Dwell on these things. Remain on these things. Focus on these things. Why did he say such? I mean, doesn't he know that we're, we're good enough? We can read all kinds of weird garbage and still have a positive attitude. Do y'all still have a Facebook account? Some of you is like, good night. You get on there and you get fired. I had to, I've had to turn that thing off several times over the last week alone because I thought, man, I'm about to say something that's going to cost me my testimony and my job. 
Not always one and the same thing, but they should be. I'm just telling you, it's like, are you kidding me? I can't believe you said that. How in the world did you crawl out of the gene pool? I mean, I'm thinking stuff like that and then going, that's not the right way, Chris. That's not what you say. Where did I get such crazy ideas? Reading weirdos. Now, that didn't mean you. If it, if that, listen, if you yelped, it's because God threw that rock. Wasn't me. I wasn't talking about you. What I'm saying to you is, is that what we put into our mind comes out. It's why we have to discipline ourselves to stay away from certain things and to focus on other things. Look at verse 6 again. Paul says, and pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. It's like that's supposed to be our objective. You'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. He says in pointing out these things, that these things there refers to what we talked about last time we were together in the first five verses, the apostasy, where you remember they, uh, P- Paul was addressing and telling Timothy to address these who had fallen away by addition. They took the purity of the gospel and they added other rules and restrictions that made sense to them that led to their pride, but were not in fact the gospel. In fact, stole glory from God, stole glory from his gospel by making Though the way toward righteousness, faith in God plus A, B, and C. So what he says, he says, hey, pointing out this bad theology, pointing out these things, pointing out this bad, if you will allow me, this bad diet that others have taken in, you'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ in pointing out these things. It giving instructions, literally. So he's talking about that. And he says that the purpose is that we would become a good servant. Now, that's the general use of the word diaconus or where we get the word deacon from. Now, here it doesn't refer to the office of deacon. And it's also not one of Paul's more common uses of the word servant, doulos, the bond servant. That's how he most often refers to himself. But he's using the word servant in a very general way. In doing this, you'll be a good servant of Christ. He's referring to one who simply serves Jesus. So it's kind of appropriate for us to discuss it on a night where we set apart deacons for ministry because this isn't some instruction just for a preacher. It's for everyone who serves, for pastors, for deacons, for connect group leaders, for the person who just gave their life to Christ 8.2 seconds ago. This applies for all of us tonight. The goal for all of us should be to be good servants. And to do so requires a disciplined intake. It's why he says that you're to be nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine. That word nourished literally means trained. You're to be trained. You're to be skilled. You're to go through a process of repetition. You're to have this pressed into you over and over. We're to be trained. We're being trained as we discipline ourselves. He says you're to be nourished or trained on the words of faith. Now, he's drawing a distinction there when he talks about the words of faith. It's almost as if he's drawing against the idea of myths and fables that he refers to in verse 7 when he says have nothing to do with these worldly fables. He's saying, I want you to be nourished on the words of faith as opposed to these myths that you've spent other time doing. Be focused on good things. And hey, listen, if you're going to be focused on good things, you have to reject bad things. Now, I'll tell you, I am no expert on matters of diet. 
I know what I like. But here's what I think to be true. I can't eat lots of salads and lots of grilled chicken and wash it all down with a bucket of chocolate ice cream and get all the same value. In other words, if I'm trying to get healthy, I've got to pick a horse to ride. I either, I either go on the ice cream diet and become extremely disappointed while enjoying myself for a while. Or I choose the grilled salad, but if I try to mix the two of them, I lose the benefit of the good. Sometimes people will say, hey, I want to take in words of faith, but I also want to take in these myths and fables. You can't take in both. You've got to discipline yourself to avoid that which detracts and embrace that which edifies or builds up. It requires discipline to do that. You're constantly, he said, being nourished or trained on the words of the faith. And on sound doctrine, that word sound is the word for good, uh, good doctrine that you have already been following. You need to continue pressing in and following after that which you've already been doing. To summarize all of this, here's what he said. A good minister or an effective minister must have a disciplined intake of true and good words of faith and sound doctrine. If you really want to grow in godliness, you can only grow in godliness as you discipline your intake, pushing aside those things which detract and focusing on those things which build up and point you to Christ only. Now listen, if you were to try to apply that, you might say, you might ask yourself the question, Lord, you might ask the Lord the question and reflect on it yourself. Lord, is there anything in my diet that's counteracting the good things I'm trying to bring into my diet. So in other words, if I spend my time in the Psalms and Proverbs on my daily reading, I'm focused on it and having me a praise moment and then immediately switch over to Twitter. Have I just created a problem for me to be able to walk out of there singing Amazing Grace? Yeah, maybe. Lord, is there anything I need to get rid of? Is there anything uh, in my attention span or my focus that I need to remove out of this? Do I have a friend who can always find the empty part of the glass? No matter what it is, he can always point that out. And while I'm trying to talk about how God blesses, he's trying to point out how if there was a good God, he'd have blessed them folks too and just bringing you down. If we're going to grow in godliness, it requires a disciplined diet. But that's just the first discipline. The second thing he tells us is that it also requires a disciplined lifestyle. A disciplined lifestyle. Look at verse 7. He says, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now this, there's a key word here that's, that's important. That word discipline is discipline. Uh, I'm going to try to transliterate it for you. Gymnazo or gymnazo. Uh, it, it would transliterate in the English G-Y-M-N-A-Z-O. It's where we get the word gymnastics from. Here's what he says. He says, discipline yourself, force yourself into a training regimen for the purpose of godliness. That idea of gymnastics there, when you look at how it's used in the original language, it says to, uh, it speaks of striving, it speaks of labor, it speaks of struggle. In other words, it's not easy. You don't coast toward looking like Jesus. There's a process of, in fact, in my life, it's more like the scripture says in other places, it's more like putting to death parts of the flesh than it is coasting toward godliness. 
And that's the idea that he puts here. Discipline yourself. Strive. Struggle for that. You could say he's telling us to strive for holiness. Avoid unholiness while straining to attain holiness. It speaks of a choice and of great effort that is to be expended. Think about that. Do we intentionally discipline ourselves toward holiness? You say, well, how in the world would I do that? I mean, what does that look like? Put some, put some meat on those bones. I, this isn't about me. So if you walk away and say, man, he's bragging on himself, uh, you completely miss the point. But let me just tell you, this is so important in my life. It's so significant to me. Every morning I wake up, usually before anybody else in the house, but I wake up early, long before long before most folks get stirring, and I spend time intentionally in the Word of God, intentionally alone in my space. I have one space. Jody has 122 spaces, but I have one space. She likes to go around. She likes a view. So anyway, she goes to different spaces. I got one space. I'll go to one place, and I spend time uh, in study of the Word of God. That's why when, when Pastor Jordan and the discipleship team kicked out this idea and said, we're going to read through the New Testament methodically, you know, that wasn't me going, oh, man, I'm going to have to start doing that. That was me going, I just finished uh, Revelation. Why not start back over in Matthew? I mean, I just finished it. I, this is a regular ongoing discipline of time in the Word alone with the Lord and time in about five different devotionals that I have that I work through. I work through Chambers. I work through some stuff from Piper. I work through some stuff from Blackaby. I read an eConnect that's put out by one of our pastors every single I even read mine. Not as blessed as by the others, but I'll read through those different devotionals that come through there. I read those every single day. I read one in a, in a little bound version that Johnny Hunt put together. I'm, I go through a set of, uh, of devotionals every day. I go through the scripture. I go through devotionals. I go through a time of prayer. I go through a specific focused time long before I get long before I start working on sermons long before any of that why because nobody nobody coasts toward godliness and I need some stuff to offset the other stuff that's probably going to come later in that day as I start driving on my way to work or am I the only one that ever deals with challenges driving to work y'all never deal with that right I mean it's just me I know I'm a work in progress so bear with me but I've got to get started first in getting my connection with God the way it's supposed to be before I can ever be busy about what else we got to do. So that's an element of discipline. Jody and I make choices about things we're going to be involved in. We're going to get involved in ourselves and, and things that, that we will and won't do. We'll make those decisions. There are some places we don't go. There are some people we don't hang out with. There are some things we, in, we gravitate toward because we know this is going to help us grow in our relationship. It's going to help us get there. And if we go to this other, there's no way we're going to grow. It's going to work against us in these things. These things don't come naturally, but they're part of our discipline. How about you? That's enough about me. What about you? Are there certain disciplines that you have? You know, if you go, I just don't do that. I don't go there. We don't do those things. That's not who I am. This is how I'm going to put my time in focus. See, I haven't said anything that not everyone in this room could do. Well, every single day, not a one thing. What I find is, is that without intentionally striving or training or disciplining myself, I'll drift toward lukewarmness or apathy, or compromise, or sin. Can I just be honest with you? If we didn't intentionally every week bring up a people group like the Dasari people, it wouldn't take me but about three weeks to forget that UUPGs were on the heart of God. How about you? 
If somebody didn't remind you on a consistent basis, remember, God gives us a privilege of calling out the names of these people. If that wasn't a normal part of your discipline, it wouldn't take but just a few weeks. Something else would crowd that out. That's the idea that we've got here. Notice the uh, argument that Paul makes uh, for us in verse 8. He says in verse 8, as soon as I get to it, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He makes an argument here. He says, y'all, if you'll allow the paraphrase, he says, y'all understand bodily discipline's important. It's good, right? And everybody would be nodding. Well, sure, bodily discipline's good. Watching what I take in there, drinking enough water, getting some exercise, all that stuff's good. Everybody would say that's exactly right. He says, but bodily discipline, it's only good while you're alive on this earth. Whereas discipline yourself for godliness benefits you not only while you're here, but also there. It helps you not only in the present time, but also in the eternal time. So he never says, hey, listen, don't go to the gym. He never says, don't go for a walk. He never says, eat what you want, eat, drink, and be merry, do whatever you want to do. He never says, just cast all physical training to the wind. He doesn't say that. He says, that's good. But it's only good until you take your last breath. He says, do... He implies do that, but then he says do something that's going to help you while, until you take your last breath here and when you take your next breath in heaven, when you stand before Jesus one day. Give yourself to that. Spiritual discipline benefits us in this life and in our eternal life in Christ Jesus. Notice that disciplined spiritual living is profitable in this life. Did you notice that? He says, he says, when you discipline yourself spiritually, it's good for this life and for the life to come. Wait a minute. Do you know when I first became a Christ follower, I thought, man, if I really give myself over to Jesus, I'm going to have to give up lots of good stuff in my pursuit of Christ. I'm going to have to give up lots of good things. Can I tell you? I did and they got gooder. I did give up some things, but they got better. I found better things to pursue. I found better things. Some folks say, you're a Christian. That means you don't this, this, and this. I'm like, yeah, I replaced it with this, this, and this. It's that much better. Do you know every time we get together as Baptists in a non-COVID world, we eat something good. Man, that's a great reason to get together. It's amazing. Y'all should try it. People have asked me, I wish I could go into, if we had more time, I'd go into specific things along the way. But I've had folks that thought, man, if I become a Christian, it's going to cost me deeply. But reality, when you look at it from a real perspective, it actually benefited me immensely in this life, not only in the life to come. See, I really did buy into what Jesus said when he said, the son of, that I've come that you might have life. And have it right now abundantly. Or the New Living Translation says, to the full. We're not just getting, we don't just give our life to Christ so one day we get to heaven and float around on clouds with harps in our hands. No way. We give our life to Christ because that's actually the key to making it through this life without losing your blessed mind. Without getting your, watching your testimony get run through the roto-rooter. I'm just telling you, we give our lives to Christ because Christ then gives us the power to make it through this life. And we're surrounded by people that, that don't have that power, many of them because they don't know of that because, well, honestly, we've not told them that way. Jesus says, 
I'm trying to help you get to the place. Now, effective ministers have disciplined diets. They have disciplined lifestyles. And finally, they have a disciplined hope. Look at verse 10. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope. I don't know if you're a person that underlines or highlights in your Bible or your Bible app, but man, I do that there. We have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. He says, we have locked in, we've disciplined ourselves that our hope is on the living God. It's a great reminder that we'll either live to please men, including ourselves, or we'll live to please God. He says, I've disciplined my hope. I've placed my hope in standing before Jesus one day when Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. And I know I can't please me in my flesh and hear that. So I've chosen because that's my aim. That's my pursuit. That's what I'm going to do. Because I've chosen that, then it already tells me what I'm going to do here. I'm going to set this aside. Uh, if we're going to have discipline, if we're going to have an effective ministry, if we're going to be effective ministers... We must have a disciplined hope. It's Jesus I'm waiting on. Do you know you can't serve both agendas? Jesus, now it's a different context, but he said, he said no man. It's in uh, Matthew 6, 24 if you're taking notes. He says, no man can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other, but you cannot serve both God and wealth, or God and mammon, you may have a translation that says. In other words, here's what he says. You're going to either pursue godliness or you're going to pursue the ways of the world, but you'll never be able to effectively pursue. You'll stink at both of them if you try to pursue both. You'll never get there. Matthew 12 and verse 25, Jesus said, And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. In other words, when we in our lives, when we... Pursue after that. We've got to be singular in focus. Disciplined is a word for that. Disciplined in our hope. Just as kingdoms can't stand against one another and a house divided itself against itself couldn't stand, we in our hearts divided against itself, we could never do it. Be disciplined in our hope. That's his point. And then verse 10 gives us, go back to that again. It's got a difficult phrase in there, which you probably scratched your head and said, I wonder if he's going to touch that one. He didn't touch the one about fit for old women. I wonder if he'll touch that one. I'm going to leave that to your imagination. We'll get back to it another day. But verse 10 says, For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Now, if you scratched your head and said, what does that mean? You joined a long list of folks who've asked that question. What does that mean? It's a difficult phrase. Lots of scholars have discussed it, and we can't cover all of it, but let me give you a verse which I think brings some light to it. 1 John 2 and verse 2. And he himself is the propitiation, the satisfaction of God's judgment, the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Buried in this phrase is the truth that Jesus is absolutely the one and only way for anyone to be saved, whether you grew up in Red Oak or Redstone Arsenal, Alabama, or 
any other place in the world or in Africa or Antarctica or Asia or no matter where you are, there's one way to be made. No matter whether you lived 4,000 years ago or you're alive today, there's one way for a person to be saved. He's the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but also for the whole world. There's one way to be saved and his name is Jesus. But now listen, the fact that he's a savior the fact that he is the only Savior doesn't mean he's your Savior. He's your Savior, especially to those who believe. He's your Savior when you take him at his word and yield your life to follow him. You say, well, I love him. Do you? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Here's what he said. If you love me, you'll discipline your lives to follow after that which I've told you leads to abundant life. Well, I'm not doing that. Well, then do you even really love I couldn't hear you. I was just trying to let you hear yourself for just a second. Do you, is he your savior? Has he saved you because you've yielded your life to trust him and follow him? If you haven't, that's the most significant thing you could do today. You say, Chris, on a Sunday night, don't you know there's not any folks from the community that's wandered in here? This is home folks. I do. I do know that the majority of folks here are connected to Englewood. Your heart's here. But that doesn't mean that Jesus has your heart. In fact, you may have been here because me, Mom, and PayPal brought you. And then you were here so long, people just started assuming that you were right with God. But there's never been a place in your life where you yielded control of your life to Christ, where you made that choice. You walked around with mom and dad's religion or grandma and grandpa's religion or aunt and uncle's religion, but you never connected it for yourself where you surrendered to Christ. If that's you today, I just want to tell you today, that's a terrible place to live. You're, you're straddling a fence. And what you ought to do tonight is you ought to step over and give your life to Christ. Why? It's the only way to experience abundant life. It's the only way. And you know, you could do that. God would allow it. In fact, Jesus desires it. He said, the son, I didn't come for those who are healthy. I came for those who recognize they're sick. I came for those who said, I need something. Jesus said, don't be weary and burdened and tore up about stuff. Surrender. Let me carry your burdens for you. Then I guess there's a group of folks in here tonight who would say, Chris, I'm, whew, I kind of got uh, comfortable in where I was and I've, I've neglected some of my discipline. Good news, you could start over today. You could start over today. I could tell you a ton of personal stuff, but this is an ongoing cycle in about a dozen different areas of my life. Uh, a lot of them involving fried chicken. But uh, where, where I'm, I'll make a decision, I'll take off on a pursuit, and then, you know, after a while you get comfortable and you wake up one day and go, I'm not where I wanted to be. And it's not that it just suddenly happened, it's just I suddenly realized that slowly letting discipline go changed. And listen, you can live there or you can make a decision to turn. God had let you turn. In fact, he desired it. In fact, he's made a way. Would you let him have his will and way tonight? I'm going to invite you to just bow your heads right where you are with me. Thank you for joining us today. This is Pastor Chris, and I pray that the message you've just heard has been a blessing to you directly from the heart of God. If today's message has prompted you to consider a next step with God, we would love to assist you. 
simply drop by our website at englewoodbaptist.com slash next or give us a call at 252-937-8254 and let us know how we can assist you. If today's message was an encouragement to you, let me encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you consume this content. That really helps us to reach a wider audience with a life-changing message of hope in Jesus Christ. We hope you'll join us again next week. And until next time, may the Lord bless you.